right, welcome to the halfway extended special of 52 Founders. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and this week is particularly significant for me since I'm joined by Max Lynch and Ben Sperry, the founders of Ionic. Ionic is an open source cross-platform mobile development stack that helps turn web developers into mobile developers. And it's a company that I spent almost a year with working with Max and Ben to kickstart Ionic's enterprise product line. Friends since childhood, Max and Ben are the perfect complements, with Max as the engineer and Ben the designer. I absolutely loved working with the entire Ionic team, and I'm so thrilled for you all to learn more about two of the best founders I've ever met. Take a listen. great to have you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It's great to be back in Madison. You know I love Madison. We know how much you love Madison. I can't tell if you're being facetious. <laughs> um, Alright, so let's start by talking about what Ionic is for those of us that might not know. Sure. Um, you want to take it? Yeah, so Ionic is a set of tools and open source technology uh, basically that enables web developers to use their skills to build awesome mobile apps for the app store, for the web, and also increasingly desktop with pretty much the same code. And so what was, how did you guys come up with the idea for this and what was the opportunity that you saw? So we kind of like accidentally backed into Ionic. Before we were doing Ionic, um, we were building simple drag and drop like website building and mobile app building tools called Kodaka and Jetstrap. And that's what we started our company on um, out of I guess my frustrations as a designer to not be able to build apps and wanting to quickly and easily without having to code so we built these tools specifically one called Kodaka that let people visually drag and drop jQuery mobile apps jQuery mobile was like a, a framework it's still around but it was a framework that a lot of people started using to try to build mobile websites and mobile apps back in like 2010 2011 so we found out about Ionic, or we came across building Ionic, rather. Uh, Sounds like you stole it from someone yeah. else. <laughs> so we, we realized there was an opportunity when a lot of our customers were telling us um, on the Kodaka product that um, they were frustrated with performance, they were submitting their apps to the app stores, but they weren't quite getting the like look and feel that they wanted and the smoothness and the native feel that they were hoping. Um, so we decided to just start building a framework that we felt would... Um, match their needs and fix some of their problems and as it turned out it fixed a lot of people's problems and ended up gaining a lot of traction uh, in the web development community and so we decided to just completely go all in on focusing uh, on building Ionic. That's the, sh the shortest version. Yeah and so why the decision to open source it if you knew this was going to be so valuable? Um, yeah basically uh, at the time like there were a few okay open source options like jQuery Mobile is one of them. Um, but then there were a number of higher quality ones that were commercial. And they had interesting licensing where you could only use, like they had an open source version, but it was GPL enabled. So you could only use it if you were also working on open source projects. So we looked at the commercial options and said like, there just isn't room in this space for like another closed source framework. Like how many times can you charge for buttons and nav bars and these UI components? Uh, on the flip side, if we made it free and open source and then found a way to like commercialize usage of it and became really popular, we could grow to be much bigger than 
those other offerings out there. So it was a little bit of a growth hack initially, but after a while, it kind of seemed like uh, we didn't have a choice. Like monetizing components and UI stuff these days is really, really hard. And the market was just going that direction. So we just kind of knew that we had to make it open source. Got it. And then, so obviously you guys love Madison. And why do you think Madison is an ideal place to have Ionic or any startup? There's a lot of good reasons. I know, Max, you're, you're pretty passionate and outspoken about it, but I'll give you my take. Um, uh, we first came to Madison, Max and I, to go to school here. And it's a, there's a great university here, the University of Wisconsin, um, which um, pumps out a lot of talented people into the community here. So we felt like Madison was, one, a great place to uh, build a startup where you don't need a bunch of capital to get going. Um, and two, to find great talent coming out of the university to help um, get those startups off the ground. Um, and since then, it's just been a great place to grow um, and find great office space. It's got a great culture. Um, yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, uh, and I think like on the flip side, like the other part of it is that location doesn't really matter as much anymore. Um, so we're really like, we consider ourselves an internet company, first of all. Like you should be able to, uh, I mean, we built this company with just Ben and I on the internet. Like, that's how we got it off the ground. So we could have done that from anywhere. And we built a lot of the product actually up in, like, a, a cabin without any internet at all. So I think the industry is really, really changing. So on some at some point, like, it doesn't really matter where we are. We just happened to start it here. So you didn't um, have a garage phase. You had a cabin phase. We had a cabin yeah. phase. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But, yeah, I mean, like, there's really smart people here. I think it's, like, the college town effect is a great place to start a, start a startup. So that's why mm -hmm. you see, like, Ann Arbor doing well as well. Yeah. So. Boulder. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Boulder has, yeah. Yeah, Boulder's done really well. I, th I think that's true, especially with strong engineering schools, like you said. Um, it's been really interesting for me being on the coast. I know I talked about this with another founder in Madison, but you kind of just forget about a lot of schools in the Midwest, especially when you grow up on the coast, and then you realize that there's such great talent here. Um, I feel like that about Chicago, and I, I learned about the University of Illinois engineering program when I moved yeah. out there. Um, and I had no idea that people were, like, those programs were just so advanced. So that's really great. Yeah, it really is. And not to mention just, like, the cost of living here. Yeah. It's, it's just so much easier to get off the ground and, and afford to retain talent here than it would be in, like, say, San Francisco, New York. And mm -hmm. like Max said, if we were able to get this company off the ground with, like, barely any capital at all. Um, because it, it's easy to live in Madison. It's not expensive. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about your earlier years. And I know that you guys have known each other, what, since you were, like, five? Probably around that age, five? yeah. yeah we Do you were, remember how you met? No, I don't. No, I actually <laughs> don't remember. But, but we, were, we were in the same kindergarten class. Okay. In Milwaukee, where we, where we both went to school. So we were friends all the way through, like, grade school. I think I asked him to come to my birthday party. Is that what, was that? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Did you ask everyone or just Ben? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I asked a lot of people. Party of two. I hand-delivered his invitation. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we um, have a lot of friends from, from grade school and, and actually high school working with us still. But, yeah. Um, we, were, we were a tight-knit group, and Max and I happened to, to grow up, like, probably four or five blocks away from one another. So him and I and, like, you know, a group of all of our friends at the time would just always hang out after school or on weekends. We would, you know, skateboard and rollerblade and... And um, play soccer. I've play, well, Max would play <laughs> soccer. I would pick dandelions. Um, <laughs> He's an artist, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensitive. So, what are both? What did all your parents do for a living? Uh, my <clears throat> my parents is Max speaking. Uh, my dad's a lawyer, or was a lawyer. My mom's a kindergarten teaching aide. 
Yeah, my dad is a... I don't even know what my dad does. He's a business analyst. <laughs> he works at a, a big bank, basically. Like, a business you think analyst. you probably think he has a job like office space? You're like, basically. what do you do? What would you say you do here? Yeah, when he comes home from work, he gives me that impression. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys grew up in Milwaukee? Yep. Shorewood, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Which what is... was it like being there? Do you remember, what did you used to do outside of school for fun? So were you always interested in art, Ben? Yes, I was the resident artist in our grade, I think. That's pretty pretty clear. <laughs> uh, I ne- never thought I would be, be starting my own company and uh, getting into entrepreneurial uh, activities until probably post-college even. Um, I was on track to be a designer and go through the whole design agency track and, um, and yeah, do that sort of stuff. And I actually did have a job at a design agency and I... I, I got uh, a taste for it, realized I didn't particularly love it, um, and that's what ended up causing me to leave and go start this company with Max. But yeah, growing up, I was I was the artist. I was always painting and drawing and doing all that sort of stuff. And so did you want to be an artist? That was like the first thing when you're like, what do you want to be I, when you grow I up? I wanted to be an, an artist. artist. Some sort of artist, yeah. And, and I ended up going into design at, at college yeah. as my focus, but yeah. Did you ever think about going to an art school? I did. I thought about going to, to RISD, but um, I didn't think I could get in, so I never applied. And I, I ended up going to Madison, which has a pretty good art school, actually. Yeah. So, or art department. Yeah. Doesn't make me sad though, that you just said that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it was a fateful decision. It, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm ultimately glad it, it ended yeah, up going exactly. the way it did. So, yeah. um, so what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were younger, Max? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I was uh, into a lot of things. It was kind of a mixture of action sports, but also computer stuff and gaming so um, I got I got bit by the programming bug probably when I was 13 or 14 and then after that it was just kind of hard to break that's all I ever wanted to do what was what was the spark at like 13 when um, you start programming so I was I was lucky to have uh, a little bit of um, kind of mentorship from a family friend who was a programmer and gave me my first Java book um, so I had a little bit of support which I'm very thankful for um, and I think that's definitely something more people need if they want to get into that field. Um, but after that, like I was, <clears throat> I got really into the whole like PHP web development thing. So building websites, we actually had a, uh, a kind of watering hole for our friend group that was like a mixture between a forum and a message board and a blog. It was very much like we kind of joke, it was like Facebook before Facebook became a thing. Um, and we had funny like you could have add-ons like apps like there was a poetry app for sharing poetry and stuff it was, it was <laughs> actually really fun. poetry yeah you know oh yeah, yeah. We, 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 we like to think we were clever I would yeah, really we love were, to read we were young artists <laughs> we would post we would post art poetry like random like updates about what we were up to when we were going to hang out it was it so really you had, like, was like a little twitter before you were kind of yeah, 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 but yeah. it was kind of like a little private website just for like our group of friends yeah. basically so I feel that, like that would be so gossipy, also. You know, it had its moments. It had its moments. We deleted all the archives, so um, it's never all yeah, you'll, you'll lost. never find any of that. But I, I do remember going over to to your house, Max, when we were in like middle school, maybe like seventh or eighth grade, and you just had in your library just these massive books, like learning C and then like C plus plus and Java for like dummies and like all of these books that I had no idea what they were, but you were just blazing through them like at such a young age. 
and it, uh, it turns out that was probably a good a good choice. Yeah, my mom was always angry because she had to buy these books for me. And in hindsight, it was like probably the cheapest investment. <laughs> uh, did you ever think you wanted to learn to code also, Ben? No. <laughs> like... No. I know a little now because I've had to. I've had to like educate myself mm-hmm. if I'm gonna if I'm gonna participate in, especially in the going ons here. But like growing up, no, I did. I mean, I did a little bit. I had some little website. Max helped me a little bit. But I, once I realized that I could do all the art for it and design, I just wanted to do, to do that. And, uh, and skip the whole like implementation part. That's why I had Max. <laughs> so when did you guys first think about becoming entrepreneurs? I mean, uh, separately. Um, <clears throat> I think yeah, my, I started probably before you did. I was like, <clears throat> probably not until a junior or sophomore in college. I was uh, like, kind of like Ben said, like, you know, you, you kind of, uh, when you're young and when you're a student and you're not sure about your career, it feels really scary and you feel like a lot of risk and you also feel like you're relying on a lot of systems that have not, you have no control over. So uh, for me, it was like, okay, I was getting into computer science. I was going to become a programmer who probably aspired to go work at Google, Facebook, whatever. And you start reading about these places and you start reading about the interview process and you're like, man, like, like my GPA is not that great because I have a lot of extracurricular interests and I, <laughs> at the time it's like you know we like to party a lot in game and in game I heard so. Madison's not known for partying <laughs> no not, not, not at all <laughs> so you know so I didn't have a great GPA um, and I was kind of looking at like having to like pass one of these technical interviews it just felt really arbitrary um, and maybe it was a little bit of just like control freak wanted to be like you know I want to control my career I want to like control my time and I have enough energy and passion and privilege frankly to be able to go and work on something um, so I just started working on some stuff in my dorm I randomly like looked for like consulting or contracting jobs and met someone who was starting like a really small company and I just worked with him as a contractor for a bit and then I just got the itch and realized like all right I could do this like I I was starting to read about Y Combinator I was like like that was just uh, Mm -hmm. kind of getting off the ground like Dropbox era Mm -hmm. and I just felt like I know how to code if I can just turn that into something that's like more business oriented I could do my own thing become my own boss skip all this madness in the technical industry and just kind of, you know, do something that's mine. Well, and I remember you got an internship while you were in school at at kind of a big, boring company for a summer. And I think that was also a big catalyst for, like, what you didn't want. It depressed the... It really depressed me. Yeah. It was like, I don't want this job. You know, I don't... If if this is what, like, a computer science job gets me, like, I don't want it. But I loved coding, I think, was what your realization was. And so it was kind of taking taking it into your own hands and making it something that you enjoyed. So I actually remember we worked on a, we did some like early consulting for at the time, your girlfriend, now your wife's parents company, they needed a new website and they were like, Oh, Max knows computers. Can you ask your, can you ask Max if he'll, if he'll build us a new website. And then you were like, Ben, can you like design it? Cause like, I don't want to deal with that stuff. And I was like, yeah. And then I got to like make them a logo and like design the UI for their website and do all the, information architecture and max wired up and we that was like one of our first like gigs so to speak working together and and having our like our both of our like uh skill sets kind of put together to make something interesting and Mm -hmm. that was really fun i don't know when i'm trying to remember uh the time where i felt like entrepreneurialism was something i wanted to do i guess i never really had a label for it it was always just like if i could just do this on my own that would be awesome and then I yeah. don't have a boss. It was more just not having someone tell me what to do all day long. 
I, think I don't we, like being told what to do. If I had to like go back and look at it, I think we definitely started without the commercial part in mind. It was like, let's build software products that people can use. Like, let's build web app products, and that's really fun. And like the mm-hmm. Y Combinator, frankly, like Y Combinator, like gave us a lot of like, like, like mental support. Like, we could look at what those companies were doing and be like, okay, let's build something like that. It's a SaaS product. It's got a web app yeah. portion. And I remember reading a bunch of Paul Graham's, just sifting through all of his essays on Y Com- on his blog. Mm-hmm. Um, you were the one who sent me that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did you ever want to be in Y Combinator? Yeah, we we applied. We interviewed, right? We did interview, yeah. I've interviewed twice there, actually. <laughs> I've denied like five times. <laughs> Only twice. It's beautiful. Getting the interview is great, though. I mean, that yeah. was when we were well, we were doing Kodaka. Yeah. And we had a, a little bit of traction. And the reason we started Kodaka is we, we were building products on the side just for fun. I mean, we built something. It was like a, what was that website we built? Three three and Me or something? Or three, three About three Me? Three About Me. Yeah. We had a little site where you could put like three, the, mo- the most important three things about you that people like you'd want them to know because we hated LinkedIn. I, don't, I still think we don't really like LinkedIn. But um, we wanted like something simpler and cleaner. And so we, we just built it for fun. And then we um, we built Kodaka because uh, both Max and I really liked, um, I don't know, you, you might be familiar with Balsamic, which is mm-hmm. a really great yeah. wireframing tool. I yeah. used it all the time at my design job when I had it for all of our clients. And I hated exporting PDFs. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to export the code. So that's why we, we were like, well, we could make something better. We could make a great product that, not better, but just something that is more tailored for like developers and designers who actually want code at the end. And so that's how we started making Kodaka. And that's where we really felt that initial like, holy crap, we could actually like quit our jobs and like build a company on this. When people started put a price tag up, people started paying us like, and it builds month over month with, with the, that SaaS style of, of billing. I mean, it's, it was a really powerful like, yeah, moment. and I think we really had to learn how to actually make money. Like, we started first with just building stuff, mm-hmm. and then, like, we had to figure out, like, oh, you actually need to make money yeah. somehow. So we had to learn that, frankly. And it's scary. I mean, it's scary putting a price tag on something that, like, you you have spent a lot of time building, designing, developing, and asking people. Like, that's a really intimate, in my opinion, it still is question. Asking someone to, to put their credit card in and pay for something that you made is, is yeah. really scary for the first time. It still is a little scary. Yeah, we've talked about pricing a lot because it's always unsure of how much to charge something, especially when you're so close yeah, to it. Yeah, absolutely. But a few things you guys are saying is really interesting to me. Um, first, I want to talk about, so you've been best friends. Did you have any hesitations about going to business together? Did you ever worry, you know, like what it's like, you know, almost like dating your best friend? And what if this doesn't work out and we our friendship is lost? Um, I don't think I've ever had any of those concerns. <laughs> I mean, we've kind of been through all that growing up together which may be a, a, a benefit that we have. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think we, you kind of go into it blind. Like, mm-hmm. you just know that you want to work together and build cool stuff, and then you kind of get into it and you realize all the pressures, especially, like, being a VC-backed company. Like, there's all these weird dynamics at play that you don't, like, I never even knew about. And now it's kind of a case of just making sure that you don't lose your soul and, like, forget your values when you get to that point. So it's, you just, you know, I don't know. But did you think you were a good balance of, I mean... A lot of good founders I talk to are just really introspective to know, well, I have these strengths and my co-founder has these strengths to round me out because I we need to make, if we're going to make a company, yeah. it goes into what you said about the difference between building cool products to creating a business. And then like you might, there's also a difference between not having a boss and being a freelancer and then being everyone else's boss. I think we kind of had to learn those things 
as we grew, there were the initial obvious ones, which was that we worked well together. We had grown up together, so we knew each other very well and how to work with one another. And we also had these complementary skill sets that balanced each other out very well. Design, UI, visual, product development or product design. Max was heavily focused on the implementation development side. Um, and that was the first like natural pairing. As we've grown and as we've had to you know, bring on employees and scale and, and raise money, like we've, we've uncovered other natural strengths that I think balance each other out. And weaknesses. And weaknesses, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks. No, but well, that's, I mean, that's the whole people, point, right? right? Like no one's, you, you should know your weaknesses. That's why you hire other people, hopefully, to run them out. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I've like personally, just in the last year, have realized in a lot of places where I felt like self-conscious because I wasn't very good at something and like didn't ever care to be good at it, you know? Like, and then you hire someone who's really good at it and you're like, okay, I don't care about being good at this. <laughs> this person's going to be a hundred times better than I ever would. Yeah, like, yeah. I need to focus on what I can do really well. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's true for everyone, though. There are so many things I find interesting that I'm just like... Then again, I, I think I'm a master of none. I'm just like... <laughs> I just like to float around and then, yeah, I don't really want to get deep into anything. So That's but. not true. That's <laughs> definitely true. Um, so, but did you ever create any boundaries about, like, you know, when you're starting a business, this will remain a business, or we should you know, get dinner once a week and talk about things, like have check-ins and like, when did you start acting more like founders of a company than just hacking together products? I mean, there's moments when you're like dealing with stuff that, that is a little more important and you realize you have responsibilities, but you can't, I don't think you can ever let yourself get to that point because part of doing this, like it has to be, it has to be fun and natural or you're just going to build bad products. So we don't really let ourselves get like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a moment where like, oh, we're founders, and here are our boundaries, and <laughs> here's the rules that we have set between That's us. That's when like, everything goes to hell, I Yeah, think. I think we're actively avoiding that moment. Like, <laughs> but you once, do if have we like, that moment, a value, but, you know, not, what is that called? Like, ionic values, like, employees. Sure, sure, yeah. Like I that. mean, between Max and I, um, like, the way that we interact, it's just so natural at this point. Like, I don't think there's, like, a, we don't have to, like, schedule time in to, like, chat, because it's natural for us to, like take the end of the day or every other day to chat. It's the only thing we ever talk about, so there's that. That's true. I guess then, okay, maybe not for you two, but, you know, you said you hired your friends. What is it like then to now be a boss to one of your friends? It can be complicated. Um, I think we lucked out, actually, in in many respects with hiring friends. Um, I don't think going forward I will continue to hire friends. Um, I've learned some lessons uh, the hard way. Um... Where we are right now, I think there's a lot of trust and mutual respect, and that's really what makes it work. But I realize that that's not the case with everyone who mm-hmm. hires friends, and I'm, I'm certainly um, guilty of making that mistake. And um, Yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of have to make sure that you're not playing favorites with anyone like because you have a past history. Yes. And you're, just, you're here to, like, we're here to build good stuff and, and work really hard and be awesome at what, what we do, and, like, mm-hmm. that's our standard, so. yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt that working here. I think you guys do a really good job of that. And and basically having a meritocracy and treating everyone the same way. So I, I definitely love that when I worked here. So what's the best piece of advice that you guys have received as founders? And what's the worst piece of advice you've received oh, as man. founders? Uh, as you've received? <clears throat> yeah. oh, so well, I don't know about the worst advice. piece of advice you've ever given. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me that. Um, 
Uh, okay, I guess I'll say for me the best was just build something people love. That and that I think yeah. that's like a uh, rough quote from Paul Graham. That was the best advice. If you can build something that people love, you have something interesting on your hands. How do you know you're building something people love? They'll tell versus you. <laughs> they will they will scream it from wherever they are. They'll they'll, they'll offer to pay you for a free product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that that has been that's a driving force here still to this day is mm-hmm. the is the love metric. Like, do people tell us that they love this product? Do they? Yeah, are they like evangelists basically? And there's many different variations of like the build something people love. Well, especially quote, in this industry where there's so many there's so many factions that people who love something hate something else and vice versa. Yeah. So you kind of have to make sure that you know who your people are and like you're focusing on them because you're never gonna like sell to hundred percent of the market. Like that's just mm-hmm. especially not in this industry. Mm-hmm. So I also think see, I always take it as not both something people love, but I always view it the best companies are solving the biggest pain points, which in turn makes people love you because you're solving like their most headacheable problems. So for you guys like web developers who are feeling like their skills might become obsolete and want to get into mobile, but there aren't that many platforms out there that are easy to use with a great design, like you're just solving their, like if they love you so much because it's just such a pain to do it without you. Like how many people would be upset if you were gone is another way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think w- when we were building it, we didn't really even realize that until afterwards. We had, in many ways, we were building a product not just for our, our customers on Codica, but we were kind of building a product that we would want to use mm-hmm. as well, which is another great metric. Like, is this something that solves the problem I have in my own life? And if it does, there's probably a good chance that it solves the problem for other people as well. Yeah. Except you don't want to fall into that trap like we were talking about before. Just, you know, <laughs> I, uh, this golf app that everyone, yeah. The, the fact that you're like, well, I, you know, think this is a really good Certainly. idea, and everyone yeah. must think it's yeah. a good idea. But I mean, there is something to be said that, like, you need to build something that you're passionate about, otherwise, it's just going to be a slog. Mm-hmm. So it's good balance, I think. Yeah. Plus, yeah. you could also put it out there early. I think a lot of people work on things yeah. and yeah. then they work in a silo, assuming that people will love it. Um, and so many great companies have started that. I think Instagram was going to be a whole social network. And they realized that people only wanted to look at their photos. Yeah. So you have to... But it's hard then to kill off the rest of the stuff that you made. So do you guys ever struggle with that about oh creating God. things that you love and then you're sad to see let go? Well, Especially yeah. as a designer, yeah. I would think that you must make mock-ups all the time. And then you're like, oh, this is not... I've spent all this time on it. Yeah. And now we're not using it. Yeah, I mean, and that's been a learning process for me is trying to not do that as much and not go to, to like, perfect design every single time and try to stay in prototyping phase and stay in, like, loose layout phase because it's <laughs> I've been burned so many times with that. Well, and I'm sure you yeah. have from, from a coding standpoint as it, well. It kind of goes back to, like, what's the best advice I've, I've ever heard, like, mm-hmm. I've ever received in this. It's, like... There's just a general uh, sense that you should be talking with customers really early. And I think a lot of people take that to mean like you need to, you know, like go out and like, you know, hassle people on the street or whatever. Like, no, you don't need to do that. Well, like handing out flyers? You don't, like, <laughs> that's not the point of it. The point of it is like you should be, you should be like testing things or you're building with people very early and making sure that it's actually the right thing before you just bottle it all up and like you know, show it to the world. So mm-hmm. yeah, that cuts do, do. yeah, that cuts down on the amount of disappointment when like you spend a year building something. And we've done yeah. that. So like for us, like we've been just taking a step back and being like, okay, how do we just de-risk building stuff so we know that it's gonna be a hit or we cut our losses early? Like, yeah. It's just something you have to get good at. Yeah, that that's that's been recent amazing uh, advice that we've 
that we've received. And yeah. it's been a learning experience for us. We're still learning, so. Yeah, that's what we were talking about about that conference and about listening to your customers. I think that's yeah. why I've always been obsessed with IDEO because I love that they, like the first part of their consultancy phase is just observing people <laughs> and how they naturally do things yeah. and then interviewing them um, but finding the right questions to ask, I always find, is really interesting in customer interviews because you can ask leading questions. Yes. Um, or you can ask questions that are yes or no, but you're not really digging into what is like their Why? big problem. What are they? What are yeah. their desires? And you don't just want to build things that they say because that's mm-hmm. also, there's folly there. Yeah. Well, that's the Steve Jobs thing. He's like, yeah. people don't know what they want until you tell them. Exactly. So. <laughs> All right. What about the worst piece of advice? Any, um, anything you've ignored? That you're just like... I mean, there's so much bad advice out there. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, I think anyone who has advice that's really passionate about it but doesn't really have, like, the experience to back it up, you should just probably give very low weight to. Um, You know, I mean, like, I think about all the things that we've kind of dealt with building this company. Like, we're not in the valley. We're... Uh, yeah, you know, that's one that things like that like, have to be in the valley. You hear so much kind of advice, especially from the old guard investment world, where like mm-hmm. you can't build a company like this. Oh, you can't build it like you're stupid for doing it outside the valley. It's like all those things that I heard. Or you can't like, monetize open source. Exactly. Like yeah. people, people have opinions for about things that I think are either biased or um, based on just incomplete data, or like they don't realize that things have changed. And so just like that kind of advice, like the kind of advice that makes you want to not do something mm-hmm. that you feel like is really potentially exciting is, is the worst advice to take. Yeah, you know, early on, we would get some pretty horrible <clears throat> advice that you hear all the time from from like early founders and people doing startup, which startups, um, which is um, starting a startup is risky. And well, that's true. It, it partially is true. But you can hedge it, against that in different ways. Well, you can hedge against it, but and you've spoken about this quite a bit. It's almost more risky if you're the type of person who does want to go out on their own to not start a startup. Yeah. Um, and that was something that we kind of learned along the way as we had gotten feedback from you know certain friends or our bosses, like, it's, it's going to be risky. Like, you, are you sure you want to do this? Like, it's not a, a done deal. And I actually that's think... That's true, yeah. I actually think um, that was bad advice at the time, um, but not because people I think were pushing, trying to actually give bad advice. I just think it wasn't the right advice for the type of person who wants to go out and build their own thing. Yeah, I think the first time, risky is so funny to me because I think the first time when I quit Deloitte and I moved to San Francisco and everyone was like, "You don't know anyone there. What if you go there? You hate your job." And yeah, and then once you do it and you realize, oh, I'm better off than I was before, it makes you realize that every time I've taken a risk since then, my life has been in a better state. Granted, there are lows that come along with it, but usually at the end of it, I'm in a more interesting place, pushing myself to do more interesting things. Um, Yeah, and like you can always find ways to like de-risk things, you know? mm -hmm. Like it's not about, oh, I'm just going to quit my job tomorrow. I'm going to start a company. I'm going to rack up credit card bills. Like, that's not a <laughs> smart way to do it. Like, there are ways to do it where, like, yeah. okay, I built something on the side on the weekends. Like, I had, you know, I was thankful I had the time to do that. And I found there's something here. Or, like, I bootstrapped it. Like, we bootstrapped the company yeah. just on the side before either of us quit our jobs. Yeah. So we were making money by the time we went full time. Like, that was a low-risk way of, of building a company. Yeah. And so since you guys are my halfway cool special... <laughs> I'm going to ask you a new question. What are each of your favorite days since starting out? What's like your favorite memory? I don't know. Yours might be the same as mine. But it was when we first, uh, we, f- we had finally put up, decided to put up a pricing page for Kodika before we had ever charged for it. It was the first day, basically. 
And I remember being at work and I saw an email roll in that said like, you know, it, I think it was like $10 a month was our price tag. Such a good price. And it was <laughs> so-and-so has signed up like for a $10 month plan and they put in their credit card and they got billed. Like we had $10 like sent to our bank account basically. It's like the proverbial one you put on the wall, except you can't. Yeah. Except you can't. Yeah. So I was so excited. I think I like, I, I was going to say slacked, but at the time I think we were using HipChat or something and I was like, dude, like we got our first customer. And then I think we like went out and got like a beer at lunch or something that day. And it was, it was a good With celebra- those celebratory be- yeah. beer. Yeah, exactly. Charges to the company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you? Let's um, go with a different one. Uh, maybe later, maybe earlier. So, okay. Well, Honestly, like one of my favorite things that's slightly different because that's also one of my favorite things. I have many favorite things. Uh, was bringing on uh, Swami as COO, mm-hmm. like just adding another executive to the team. Like I think, like I, like I mentioned before, as you as you grow as a person, you realize what you're really good at and what you're really excited about. Like you get to this point where you're like, okay, I could become really good at this thing, or I could become really good at this thing. But which one do I actually like care about being good at? And for me, like, there were a lot of things that I, I felt like I had to start doing as a CEO that, like, just wasn't my thing. And bringing on Swami was, like, does it 100 times better than I ever would have. Mm-hmm. Has enabled me to focus on what I'm really good at, Ben, on what he's really good at. And, like, the, just added a level to the team that wasn't there before. So uh, that's been my favorite. It's really, like, changed how we all feel about the business and, mm-hmm. like, its prospects and yeah, I would say, yeah, absolutely, that, that is a, was a defining moment. And actually, thinking back, every time we've, we've added someone who has been um, an expert in something that we were kind of, like, doing the best we could at, it's always been uh, an exciting moment for the company because mm-hmm. it levels everyone up and it levels our expectations up of, of ourselves and the rest of the team, and it, and it helps us move forward. Well, and, and the other thing I noticed was, like, like Ben and I kind of went from college into like one job and then like for a year and then this. So we didn't like have a lot of like, like we didn't cut our teeth at a, at a company like Google or whatever. Like yeah. we kind of had zero work experience when we started this company. So being able to hire people who have a lot of experience and have skills, like mm-hmm. frankly, you just get to sit there and watch them and learn from them. Like I've learned so much from some yeah. of the last hires we've made and others that like in, in a way it's kind of like I get to backfill some of that experience just by hiring people instead of like having to get it on the job. So mm-hmm. that's been really special and I didn't quite like anticipate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it also fires up the team every time too because you feel more and more like a real business and you go from, you feel like a bunch of kids running a company to, oh, we're going to be a viable, this is a real thing. This, this is real. This, yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> this is really taking off. <laughs> All right, we'll end it with, uh, before my fun question round, we'll end it with, what do you think the best quality to have for successes. My metric would be making sure that you're passionate about having passion for what problems you're solving or what you're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have the passion, like nothing else really, for me at least, um, matters after that. Yeah, I would say like being relentless, but not like in the sense that, you know, you just never give up on something. It's like once you get your mind on something, like you just know you have to see it through and you think about it all the time. Like, yeah. you know, I think that's like something that you just, you need to have if you're going to stick with something. And, and I've worked on things where I didn't have that and it was because I was working on the wrong thing, you know? So it's not, it's something that you can also create relentlessness by just aligning it better with what you're excited about too. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think some entrepreneurs told us there was this shower test they had. Um, where you just like it's the first thing or wherever you do your most thinking you go when you're working out it's like for two weeks straight it's the only thing you're thinking when you wake up or you're in the shower just like 
I've been thinking about this for two weeks. Or but if you haven't for two weeks, sleep. yeah. It's a curse because I, I think about Ionic 24 seconds. Like, <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, all right, just stop thinking about it. Like, let's go play some games or like chill. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to think about it. I'm like, but it's like the most exciting, like it's the thing I'm most jazzed it's about. It's fun to like, think about. Yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean, that's where I, that's where I'm coming from when I guess I say the passion. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you have it, it means that either you think about it in the shower, or you think about it when you're working out. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up. Or in my case, you can't go to sleep because you're thinking about it. And it becomes a problem. So you send emails late at night? That's right, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm kind of a night owl anyway, so I always get a second win at like 10 p.m. and then I drive Shannon crazy. <laughs> um, all right, let's go to our fun ending questions. So what are other startups that you guys are big advocates for? Like, What are the ones that you're evangelists of? I love Slack. Um, I love their voice. I love their like brand identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've done a fantastic job uh, building a product that people love that I also think didn't really know they wanted. Like uh, when I started using Slack, and I've said this recently, like I was like, oh, I got in like on the early beta. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. it's like the most hipstery thing you've ever so, said. Yeah. Uh, yeah, early beta. Slack. You probably have yeah. never heard of them. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. Slack. No big deal. <laughs> um, and I, I, I actually have a screenshot of the first thing I wrote, which was something like looks like another hip chat like clone like good luck or I something like that <laughs> it, I really didn't like get it you know like I was just like they're already this problem's already been solved right and then you learned about the gifs the ter- gifs <laughs> yeah. gifs 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 here um, <laughs> and um, anyway I think they they, saw, they actually saw a lot of problems that I I was experiencing and like didn't know that I was having a problem with with and not not to like you know dog HipChat or anything like that. I think HipChat has its place, but I, I think Slack just did such a fantastic job with their product and listening to customers and solving problems that I didn't even know existed and that I was experiencing. And mm-hmm. as I started using it, I kind of fell in love with it. Now I'm hooked. Um, not to mention everything else that they do well, like their branding and voice and all of that. But I really, really admire how they built their company. I think one of my favorite companies still to this day is Mailchimp. Um, really? Just because, like, I, I, I love companies that don't raise any money because it... Like, it kind of proves that there's something more important here that's, like, if you can create a lot of passion with customers and charge them money, like, we bootstrap this company. People pay for things. Um, and I think they're kind of a, a uh, you know, they've stuck to their values. They've um, continued to, like, do things the way they want to do it. They're still around. They're going to be around for a lot longer than a lot of mm-hmm. uh, startups will. And there's something to be said for that. And I think... I think they'll always be one of my favorite companies. I think they're overpriced <laughs> sometimes. Like when you're starting out, it's like they're a really expensive product, but it just goes to show like email's valuable. They know how to charge things. Do you, okay, do you want to understand about this? I just interviewed a founder in Chicago who bootstrapped, and he was saying it when you're bootstrapping, you're spending your own money, which means you spend it a lot more wisely. It's like when you raise funding, it's easy for me to throw 5K at a new product or like 20K at marketing, and then you're just like, when I bootstrapped, I was like, but this is our money. Do I really want yeah, to do totally. that? I, I know that. They're different. I mean, they were doing, you know, a tangible product and it didn't, they didn't need to hit that certain scale that other businesses sure. do. Um, I think there are pros and cons, but it was really interesting to hear him say that. It felt more like his money than someone else's money. I think it's a really good point. I think if we, I actually don't think we say it enough that, well, I mean, we bootstrapped this company for the first two years yeah. of, its, of its life and that, that has infected our culture still to this day. Like, I know I'm annoying because I'm, like, very stingy about how we spend money on things still. But I got that. Except from, your, like, roller skater thing in, around the office. We, had, we gave it away. Did we you? 
It was a fire hazard. It was a, it was it was a liability. It was uh, a liability. We weren't worried about fire. We were worrying about exploding and fires being caused. <laughs> the falls we could handle. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was I worried about Ben just popping up behind me sometimes. <laughs> on his, his I miss that. Giving heart attacks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you have you can have a little more fun, but but if you being venture backed, um, not too much. But yeah, it's easy to just spend up, like charge mm-hmm. up the the cards because you have money there. Yeah, and I, I think people people often say like you're you're too conservative when you bootstrap like to to a fault, and I, I don't think that's the thing. Like I think that kind of mindset is something that we have, which is like. Yeah. We want to be self-sufficient as a company. Like we don't need to go spend a hundred grand on something that we know we could just build ourselves or have in-house or be like, definitely. You know, does we don't need all the features. So there's a middle ground, but I think it just gives you a sense of we can do this ourselves. We're self-sufficient. We have everything we need right here. I think there's a lot of like like peer credit pressure, and maybe mm-hmm. we don't have that as much here because there's just not as many startups. But yeah, like. Who's got more employees? Who's spending more money? Like, yeah. et cetera. Like, you get in this like race about things that are just so ridiculously stupid. When then, and then you've got people like glorifying like uh, the WhatsApp who have like tiny employee size and huge, you know, relative to what they've done. And like, mm-hmm. th- I think that's really cool. I think being lean and efficient is the future of like startups and tech. Mm-hmm. And I think like there's something to be said for that. And it's, it doesn't matter whether you're bootstrapped or VC. It's just the mindset. So actually, my next question is: What areas of tech? Are you guys excited about um, outside of you know mobile development? Like, what do you really see taking off in the next year or two? Chatbots, bro. Chatbots. You're kidding. <laughs> well, I'll always have a soft spot for gaming, um, just because I really love games and I love good games. And I like seeing more good games being made. Uh, but I think. Uh, if I was gonna have to start another company, if I was someone thinking about starting another company, like I love markets where people pay for things, you know. So like <laughs> marketing tools, sales tools, etc. Like I think about the things that we pay the most money for. They're all kind of in that sphere. So uh, if you're gonna build a company, like I love those kinds of markets because people have real problems and they're looking for real solutions and they're willing to spend real money to, to like solve them. So yeah. Um, like the other thing, just like weird startup advice that I've realized is like. Everyone's trying to come up with this like new crazy idea that no one's seen before, um, and I think that's probably why so many startups fail, and, and it certainly is a cause of that. There's something to be said for finding a market where people are using stuff that's like just okay, and they're paying for it, and like you just make something better, like mm-hmm. you know, like something to be said for that. That's what we did when we started this, yeah. and like if you take that kind of mindset, like there's a million ideas out there waiting to be improved on. So. Yeah, I think that's like. Ones that save time. And so for me, that's why I love AI, just because I feel like it can save, you can just automate so many things. Um, I know you guys know how much I love efficiency. <laughs> right, like people are trying to be so much like Elon Musk or something. Yeah. And I feel like there's only one of him for a reason, <laughs> because who can even think of the things he thinks of? Well, and uh, if you think about his, like, okay, like Tesla, it's a better car. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like they're not like totally pie in the sky things like, uh, you know, you hear some crazy stuff. That's yeah. just never gonna happen. Wasn't like Neuralink's pretty. Neuralink's pretty. I don't know if that's just incrementally better. It's ESPN. pretty crazy. ESPN. Uh, ben, what about you? I have no idea. I don't know even. How, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. Like I'm not. I'm not really thinking about that stuff on a day to day basis. Obviously, I have my eyes on like the market and on how it pertains to mobile um, because that's really where my head is. But I'm not terribly excited about, you know. I don't know AI or I know machine learning is really interesting right now and there's actually a lot of interesting stuff going on with that which I was just reading about with Amazon mm-hmm. 
And so that stuff's pretty interesting to me. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not. Well, I think there's so much fluff out there. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't. Because it was people named up it the way they did big data. Yeah, yeah. and like, like a lot of AI is like a lot of AI I've realized is like treating like your in, your like computer input as a little more flexible than it used to be. Like they're heuristics. That's all it is. So people are taking like pretty simple systems and being like, oh, we can just like guess what you're trying to do here and like, oh, that's AI. But I think there's like machine learning tools, right? There's one that I really love that use translation um, layer for Zendesk and Salesforce. And it's like a way for companies sure. to scale globally that just makes so much sense. They're already think, integrated yeah. in tools that you love. That sounds really interesting. That stuff's awesome. Um, it's also potentially, I mean, we're getting into some dangerous territory with stuff like this and automating things, you know, five, 10, 20 years down the line. Mm-hmm. Like it could really affect the economy yeah. and jobs. It's, it's really, it's at, at once exciting and also like there, there's certainly trepidation, um, which I know we talk about occasionally here. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, I mean, imagine like even just automated like car driving, like, and or trucks. I mean, that's, that's a whole market right there that could be totally disrupted by, by self-driving cars and self-driving. Um, I guess I'm more of the belief though that I view that as a positive thing because there's so many mundane tasks that people don't like to do. And so it's enabling more creativity, more industries. And like we've always adapted as human beings with technology to make new jobs, new industries. I think it's- I agree. I think there's- But it'll, like, it'll go at a way faster pace this time. You have to look at it as a positive because it's yes. inevitable, but then you have to think about what do you do about- Yeah, like do we yes. have a, like a level of income exactly. that people yes. have? Yes, yes. definitely. Um, and then finally, if you guys interview one founder, who would you most want to talk to? Well, we were always, and we still are fanboys of Basecamp 37 yeah. Signals. So yeah, I was going to say. You're yeah. the second person. You're actually the only people to say that were the other two I interviewed together. Really? Yeah. yeah. So DHH and Jason. DHH and Jason, yeah. yeah. I really look up to those guys. I just think I'll always have a, a soft spot in my heart for, the, another, for that company. Well, why people. would you want to interview them? Well, um, they're another bootstrap company. Yeah. They're, I mean, I think, like, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of people in the tech industry who aren't really, like, causing any kind of stir. And they're not contrarian about anything. And then you've got people like this who like are very contrarian, have different ideas. Um, and I just I like that. Like I like I like not just falling in line just because everyone's doing it. And like tech is rampant with that kind of crap. So I also think um, we we kind of like quote unquote grew up on like a lot of the the thirty seven signals um, uh, like blog posts and mm-hmm. books that they wrote. Like yeah. I think when we were doing Codica still or just getting off the ground, I remember we read, um, we both were reading Rework, which I think is a great, yeah. great book. I think book. you gave that to me. Did I? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the gospel of Basecamp is strong. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we have a copy lying around. And obviously we don't, we don't believe in it and all this stuff, but you know, there's a balance, but I just, yeah. I like them. Um, you know, there's obviously some other ones, but that's kind of the first one that comes to mind. Cool. Well, thank you guys for being on my halfway special. Thanks. Very dear to my heart to interview you guys. Well, thank you. (laughs) It's good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that is a wrap on our extended halfway special of 52 Founders. Be sure to check out 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for episode 27, where we're back in Madison with another founder.